Green Automotive News Update. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is Green Sense, where we bring you eco-innovations that are changing your world. This week, our guru of gears, the czar of cars and the prince of pontification, Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive and the host of the podcast Car Stuff, joins us to explore price gouging. Tom, welcome to Green Sense. Thanks for having me. Well, this topic of price gouging, it's on the minds of many Americans, uh, especially when it comes to buying new cars and gasoline. Uh, have you thought about the topic, Tom? <laughs> I think about the topic all the time because the number one question I get from people is, should I buy a car right now? And I don't have a great answer to that question. Yes. Well, I would do, I've always wanted to ask you this question. I keep forgetting. Which which title do you like better, the Guru Aguirre, the Czar of Cars, or the Prince of Pontification? Oh, I think I like Guru of Gears. All right, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this uh, topic's not that funny, but we'll try to make it entertaining. So um, there are many new cool EVs planned for production, uh, but we hear a lot about the difficulty in purchasing a new EV. And I was thinking, uh, uh, what are some of your favorite EVs that you see coming to market? Um, there are two now that come from Hyundai. And remember that Hyundai is the parent company of Kia. So that includes the Kia EV6 and the Hyundai Ionic 5. These are both compact crossovers, as everything is these days. Uh, but these are exceptional electric vehicles. Um, the, the pricing is relatively fair, all things considered. But that doesn't mean that the market demand price is fair right now. But we'll get into that. Well, for me, my favorite EVs are the Tesla Cybertruck, as I've mentioned, the Ford F-150 Lightning, and I just saw the new Toyota Compact EV Cruiser. Have you seen that? I have. What are your thoughts on that one? I, I think Toyota's in a funny place right now where they need to do fun stuff with electric vehicles um, because they're under some backlash from the industry really for having dragged their feet on EVs for so long. So expect them to be doing a lot of fun stuff in the near future. Uh, and is that, uh, I guess, an upgrade of, what is that, the FT Cruiser? Yeah, I think that's what they're doing with that. Yeah, and that was a fun car too. It was. So we'll keep an eye on that. But here, let's get into the serious part of this. Uh, if I want to buy an EV, what models are available right now that I can walk into a showroom and drive out with a car today? That's a great question. The supply of virtually every EV that's been launched in the last year or two is slim, but they're not entirely unavailable. Uh, Cars.com put together a nice list. The Hyundai Ionic that I just mentioned, there's like a 10, 15 day supply of those vehicles. You're going to be paying list plus for those, but it looks like you can get one if you're patient and don't care about the color. Same for the Kia EV6. Um, the Ford Mustang Mach-E, unfortunately, is on production hold at the moment while they deal with a, with a software update. So we're going to see demand go to other cars, just making things worse. So the answer is most likely you're not going to be able to walk out with a car today. Uh, if you're lucky, you might. And if you do, you're going to pay over sticker price. You're going to pay over sticker by about 3%. That's the national average on EVs right now. And you're also probably not going to get the color or equipment you were looking for if you're, if you're shopping that day. If you okay. wait, maybe. So what are your thoughts? When will that change? When will there be uh, ample supply? That's a good question. Um, manufacturers right now are prioritizing, it seems, the building of electric vehicles. So that supply might be less thin in the next six months, in the next year. And I think that's simply because they want to get their foot in the door. They want to be seen as a leader. 
uh, and they want to be contributing to this broader EV movement. And stockholders love that too. So I think the supply of EVs may ease before the supply of uh, internal combustion engine vehicles. Well, that's really good news. Um, do you ever see, well, of course this will happen. When do you see oversupply coming? Wow, I don't know. There's a lot of EVs coming. And surprisingly, and of course, this we'll, we'll be talking about this in a moment, but high gas prices seems to be driving additional demand to EVs. So this a lot of critics assumed that there was going to be too many EVs and not enough buyers. That has not turned out to be the case. But we're going to get a lot more EV models in the next six months. I'm hearing rumors out there that in the next two years, we're going to see an oversupply of, of cars out there. Anything you could substantiate? Probably not. Um, sales are so low right now, largely because of production constraints and supply issues, that there is a huge back demand for EVs. Last month, um, sales were down by a third. So that, that is like 6 million, 5 million vehicles that didn't get sold. To some extent, people need those cars, not just want. So that demand's going to last a while. That's why you're the guru of gears. You back all these things up with facts. So thank you, Tom. Um, well, let's get into the $64,000 question. <laughs> our drum roll, please. Are car dealers taking advantage of the short car supply and the high demand? And do you have any facts or examples to back this up? Yeah, I do. I was walking around some dealerships recently, and there was one in Western Illinois near where my daughter goes to school. Uh, and that dealer had just pre-stickered every vehicle on his lot with a $5,000 markup sticker. So, and and that's, that's a little bit ahead of the pricing reality. So that's where he's starting the negotiations. But yes, absolutely. There are dealers taking advantage of the situation. Now, though, I've heard good stories, too, where dealers are simply asking sticker, which is sort of an artificial number anyway, but they're not going over sticker, um, which is nice. I mean, that's, that's fair market value at the moment. Any laws that they're breaking by gouging, or is it more of an ethical issue? It's more of an ethical issue. And because dealers are independent franchisees, manufacturers have very little control over this situation. Um, they can, they're, they're free to charge whatever they want to. There's few things that uh, infuriate customers more than paying over sticker price. <laughs> you think this will leave a bad taste? And people already have uh, you know, maybe a negative connotation with dealers. You think that will impact that? It might. There, there's an interesting short-sightedness to this. And, and we've seen this before when a, when a manufacturer has a hot product, for example. Um, and, and I think that this will leave a bad taste in consumers' minds and mouths. But, but the problem, too, is that you buy a car now, you get a six-year, seven-year loan. You're not going to be really thinking about this in, when you buy a new car. That dealer will have changed. Uh, it's, it's possible you're not a repeat customer anyway. Interesting. Well, let's move on to another organization many people despise, and that's the big oil and gas companies. And there's a lot of suspected price gouging going on by oil and gas companies, lots of misinformation when it comes to how gas prices are calculated and who controls the price of gasoline. So let's dig into the details yeah. and what goes into the cost of producing gasoline and prepare our listeners with some facts so that they uh, you know, can hold their ground when it comes to uh, discussing this with their friends and colleagues. This is a very complex issue. I think it's intentionally made complex by the oil companies. And for those that want a good objective source of information, you could check out the U.S. Energy Information Administration website. It has a tremendous amount of detail on this topic. 
So Tom, as we dig into the details, let's try to answer uh, two questions, something I hear all the time. What influence does Joe Biden or President Biden or any president for that matter have on the price of gasoline? And then the second question we want to ask answer is how do oil companies impact the price of gasoline and are they price gouging at the pump? All right. Sound good? <laughs> no, those are great topics. All right. So, Tom, do you know the four major costs that make up the price of a gallon of gasoline? Yeah, I mean, the big one, obviously, is the cost of crude. Then you have refining, you have distribution, uh, and what marketing. What am I missing? Taxes. Taxes, thank you. <laughs> Actually, it's funny because I've got a tax spreadsheet here. Here it is. Well, well let's dig into each of these. Uh, according to my uh, research, distribution and marketing costs and profits amount to about 14%. And that is pretty much totally controlled by the oil companies. Any thoughts or uh, uh, input on that, that line item? No, that seems exactly legit. And then the next one is taxes, and that's at 17%. And uh, that, that fluctuates a little bit because it's made up of a federal uh, government tax that's a fixed amount, and then state government taxes, which vary by state, and they can be a percentage of, yeah. of the total price. And the federal government, the president has control over that, but what control he has, I'm not sure. <laughs> do you? <laughs> no, and that's a great point. And I honestly don't know if the president himself can decide to, to do a tax holiday or not, but the federal tax on gasoline is 18 or 18.4 cents a gallon, I think. And that's a fixed cost. And it's relatively small uh, compared to the price of a gallon of gasoline right now. And I think that a holiday like that would have virtually no impact at the pump. So I was in Spain a couple of weeks ago on business, and I saw an interesting thing happen there is when I went to the gas station, uh, uh, gas is priced in liters. It, it varied between $1.70 to $2 a liter, around oh, $8 a gallon. <laughs> so, so much. <laughs> things are good here. But when you paid for gas, you actually got a cash rebate because the uh, politicians created a tax holiday and they thought, uh, people would recognize that uh, better if it was given to you at the pump. So I thought that was a good idea. Maybe something our, our government officials can learn from. <laughs> that is brilliant politics. <laughs> it is. So let's move on to point three, and that's refining cost and profits. And this is uh, totally controlled by the oil companies. And this is where the oil companies have gotten very creative on being able to manipulate supply and demand of oil based on the amount that they, they refined. Thoughts or comments on that? No, I did some math today, though, and I thought you might be interested in this math. The last time gas was this high, inflation adjusted. It was 414 in 2008. 414 a gallon was the national average peak. Now it's about 555, I think it is, in Chicago area. Uh, oil was just 145, or was 145 a barrel, which works out to 195, almost 200 bucks a barrel now. We are comfortably under that right now, but we're paying the same price for gas. And if you look at the oil and gas company's earnings or profits, uh, they're, they're astronomical the last uh, 12 to 18 months. So, <laughs> they're, yeah, they're... ExxonMobil Q1, I think revenue, or not revenue, earnings doubled, but revenue tripled. So that money's coming from someplace. Yes. So... The last cost, which is 54%, this is where it gets very complicated. And again, I uh, suggest you go to that website I mentioned if you want to really dig into it. 
but it's the cost of crude oil. And uh, that represents around 54% of the cost. And there's seven factors that impact the price of crude oil. The first is the supply. And there's two parts to the supply equation. It's, it's OPEC, the Organization of Petroleum, uh, Petroleum Exporting Countries, and they produce about 60% of the supply of oil. And non-OPEC produces the other 30%. And then there's a small group that are not non-OPEC or OPEC, and they, they create the balance. The second part is spot price of oil. The next one is financial markets, and those are all your futures and speculations and investors. And then the last is demand, and there's two parts to the demand, the non-OECD, and that's the Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, and OECD. OECD consists of the U.S. and much of Europe and other advanced countries, and 53% of the world oil consumption in 2010 was from China, India, and Saudi Arabia, which produced 40%. So that tells you how complicated this is. And so I want to ask the question, how does the president control the pricing of oil? Almost not at all. Uh, It's impossible to think what the president can do about this. And, And any sort of import tariff obviously screws things up further. But we deal in the U.S. with spot market prices. And the whole drill baby drill thing that we used to hear made no sense because that oil wasn't necessarily going to go to U.S. consumers. It was going to go to consumers globally based on spot market sales. So there isn't a lot an individual president uh, can do to influence gas prices. So the one thing that maybe the president can do is on the supply end of OPEC or non-OPEC, and that's release the U.S. strategic oil reserves. But We have a very small supply, and that's an infinitesimal percent of the supply. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I did some checking. The most the U.S. has ever had in reserve is about 700 million barrels. It currently has about 500 million barrels. If it dumped all of that, that's a 25-day supply for the U.S., much less if it's global. So the impact would be very short-lived. Um, so this is uh, very complicated, and you could see how the oil companies, which have set up many subsidiary companies to own different parts of these different functions. Sometimes they'll have a company that owns the refining process. Uh, sometimes they'll have a company that owns the production uh, uh, and, and sometimes the distribution. Um, many of the oil and gas companies over the last 10, 20 years have gotten out of the retail business. So they own very few gas stations. According to my research, Tom, uh, most gas station owners make around three cents a gallon on on a gallon of gas sold, and they make $37 on a gallon of coffee sold. So (laughs) they need those convenience stores to really maintain the profits. What what have you uh, uh, researched or heard out there? Yeah, no, that's very interesting. And and when I was a youngster, I worked at an oil, I worked at a gas station. That three cents a gallon has been constant for something like forty years. There just isn't that much money in the retail end of this business, um, and it's increasingly little. And that, yeah, as you noted, they need to sell the coffee, they need to sell the news. Well, they don't sell newspapers, the cigarettes, <laughs> and the lottery tickets to get the, to keep that business humming. Yes, Tom. In your opinion, what's the trend on gasoline prices? Are they up? Are they going to be going down? And for how long is it going to take for those to, you know, maybe get to normal? 
That's a good question because I have not seen the public respond in any great way uh, by, by dialing back gasoline consumption. Um, we keep hearing that the OPEC nations might want to jump in and produce a little bit more oil, but they've been really conservative about this right now. They're making an awful lot of money, and I don't know that they want to dilute that in any way. Uh, but we are entering summer driving season. Now, the only thing that would really have an impact, and it may have an impact immediately, is that there are a lot of electric cars actually being sold right now. Uh, about 12.5% of cars being sold in the U.S. right now are electric. I don't know if that's going to stay that rate, but that will have a slow impact on oil consumption. I've heard it said that we're at peak oil right now and that oil demand will start dropping very slowly uh, moving forward. If you look at the financial reports of many of these publicly traded oil and gas companies, you could see that they're putting less and less into exploration and production which right. means that they see long-term that that's not a good investment for them because oil and gas are, are on their way out as, as a uh, primary fuel. So um, the question I want to ask you, are the oil and gas companies gouging? And if so, where and how are they doing it? Yeah, I absolutely think they are. I think they're taking advantage of the situation. And they're simply not drilling or refining as much as they could be right now. And we're heading into the summer season, demand's going to be higher, and it's just easier to make less and sell for a higher rate. And that's exactly what's happening with cars now, too. Um, Auto manufacturers are enjoying record profits because they're selling cars for so much money right now. So, Tom, what's a consumer to do? The bottom line, we got rising gasoline prices. We have the inability to buy an EV. Uh, if you can't afford to operate a gas car. And what can a listener do to control their transportation costs? Yeah, I wish there were great answers to this, and there aren't. There are only just a couple of really common sense answers. Try to drive less, try to drive more carefully. I would not rush out and buy a car right now at these rates. Cars are expensive. Financing is getting more expensive because interest rates are going up. And you don't want to be saddled with a six-year loan on something to save a little bit of, well, it's a lot of money at the pump. But I don't think you're going to amortize those costs. Well, Tom, uh, how about we do a show next week and explore the cost of gasoline and what it takes to operate a gas-powered car, a look at electric rates, how they vary across the country, and what it costs to operate an EV, compare the two, and uh, look at it around the country and uh, share that with our listeners. You up for something like that? I would love that. All right. Well, I will see you in a week. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you're, you're a wealth of information, and I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks for having me. That's Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive and the host of the podcast Car Stuff with our Green Automotive News Update. Green Sense is an independent radio show. We rely on the generous financial support of listeners so we can continue to produce a high-quality audio broadcast that promotes innovators with sustainable solutions that inspire action. If you're interested in being a patron, visit the GreenSenseFarms.com website to download the patron form. I'm Robert Colangelo. Thank you for listening to Green Sense and check out the Green Sense Minute every Thursday and Saturday at 105.9 FM, WBBM, Chicago.